Thanks to everyone for the birthday wishes. If you didn't tell me happy birthday, it's too late. Keep it. Hashtag Gemini. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball. We are, I think, over halfway through the season recap podcast now doing another one of the uh, of the playoff teams today. We're going to be looking at the Utah Jazz and to talk about the Utah Jazz is, of course, my esteemed Basketball Monster colleague, Kyle McEwen. Kyle, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on again, Josh. It's good. Uh, it's good to have you here. It's good to uh, be ready to talk about uh, this Utah Jazz team, who, of course, were uh, pretty bloody uh, impressive this season. After especially a really poor start to the year, ended up. 48 and 34, one of the hottest teams down the stretch, knocked off the Thunder, uh, couldn't quite get over the Rockets in the playoffs, but ended up as the fifth seed after losing Gordon Haywood and having significant injuries to Rudy Gobert during the season. I don't think everyone would have to say it was a successful season. Um, Jazz fans are clearly excited about what this team has got, uh, got moving forward, but, um, we're going to talk about the, the fantasy value of this team, but overall, um, this is this is one of the more fun teams to watch this year, especially the second half of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that you had the 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 main the spotlight on a rookie all season as the the primary scorer for this team, leading the team on a charge into the playoffs as you as you went down the uh, the line. I think yeah, it was definitely exciting to see and something that people didn't really expect to happen or even if they did expect the Jazz to be a playoff level team, they didn't expect it to kind of play out the way it did. They had the second best defense in the entire NBA for the season. Um, 16th best offense, which I think some people thought is you know, way higher than what they, they would have been in the offseason, especially after losing Hayward. There was you know, talks this is going to be the worst offense in the NBA, but uh, the emergence of Mitchell and the player of other guys like Gobert and Ingles and Rubio got them up to 16th. They played with the 25th best pace, which is actually probably an improvement over what they had done previously when they'd been the slowest team in the NBA quite consistently. But that wasn't the case this year. They did speed it up uh, a little bit. They, they took a lot of threes. They get to the line at a decent amount as well. Really strong defensive rebounding team. And, of course, that defense is anchored by Rudy Gobert. For this upcoming season, they've got two draft picks, pick 21 and pick 52. Nothing overly uh, significant there. But as we've seen with the Jazz in the past, they're not averse to trading for picks to get the players that they want, which is, uh, in fact, those two guys who do lead, lead this team, and that's Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Shout out to Nuggets fans, who I'm sure are, are really, really keen to hear once again that they traded those picks that became both of those players. If we look at their free agency outlook, Kyle, there's only one real restricted free agency on this team, and it's a pretty big one, and that's Derek Favors, who showed flashes this season, but it appears to me that, that his best position is at center, and he can struggle at times at power forward, although the second half of the year, he did play well there. I, to me, it's sort of a 50-50 whether he comes back, whether the Jazz want to offer him the money that he might think he deserves, or whether he actually gets the money that he thinks he deserves from another team. So I guess that's not a 50-50, it's a 33-33-33. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because... Does I? It's hard to imagine Derek Favors going out into free agency this summer and getting enough money that 
he feels like he can completely look past the Jazz. Um, you'd have to think they'd have some interest in bringing him back just because they don't have anybody else who I think is ready to step into that starting power forward spot next year if Favors is gone. But the fact that he's had a lot of injury hiccups in his career, the knee issues that seem to limit him in totality, not maybe not this last season, but the season before, um, it'll it'll be really interesting to see if he gets offered enough money or if he even if he actually wants to go back to the Jazz or if he's just looking for a change of scenery. Uh, if I had to put a bet on it, I would say that Derek Favors is probably going to leave, but there's just, as you pointed out, and it's just so hard to know if there's another team out there who's willing to pay him enough money to convince him to go, go somewhere else. Yeah, this is going to be the case through all the free agency. There's just not much money around, really, and there's going to be some uh, short-term contracts and some much lower value contracts than people anticipate when it all is said and done. They've also got uh, a, a slew of restricted free agents. The most important or the most interesting of those being Dante Exum, who missed pretty much the entire season with a shoulder injury and came back and looked pretty good and looked like he could be a guy where you go, you know what, this could be a, a future starter for this team. He's a restricted free agent. Hull Neto and David Stockton are as well, as are the two two-way guys, Eric McCree and George Niang. Not that there's much you know, focus on, on any of those four guys. Then we've got a bunch of non-guaranteed players or partial guaranteed. Tabo Cephalosha, who had the knee injury, which cost him the second half of the season. Jonas Sherepko, Epe Udo, and Royce O'Neill. There's a, no absolutely zero chance that Royce O'Neill's contract is not guaranteed for next season. He will be back. The Cephalosha, Yurepko, uh, Udo ones, I think that's uh, that's going to be quite dependent on what ends up happening with favors there as well. So it wouldn't be a guarantee to see all three of those guys back or even or all three of those guys might be gone. But Royce O'Neill at the minimum contract will definitely be back for next season as he showed. He showed quite a bit this uh, this last season, but Kyle... Let us get into the uh, the fantasy uh, details on this team. We will start with Rudy Gobert, who only played the 56 games. He's the favorite for the def- defensive player of the year at this point. Played 32 minutes a game, 13.5 points, 10.7 rebounds, 2.3 blocks, and 62% from the field, shooting 68% from the line. I think some people were a little bit disappointed with his output. They expected uh, a rise in usage. I expected a rise in usage. He was only at... Uh, or sorry, a higher usage than, than what he was at. Um, basically the same usage rate he put up last season at 16.7 versus 16.8. I assumed he would take on some of that Gordon Haywood slack because I didn't assume that uh, Donovan Mitchell would be taking 27% of the available shots out there, which is what what he did. But overall, Gobert did decline in his rebound rate. His scoring dropped. His block rate dropped. His overall field goal percentage dropped as well. But it was still a, a pretty good season from Rudy, especially uh, once he came back after the injury. Yeah, exa- he he did well on the court. Um, as far as his fantasy values go- goes, you, you do look at across the board and say, well, why, does it, why did his rebounds drop a little bit? Why did his blocks drop a little bit? Um, and But I'm not concerned about it. I just, it's just, it looks like it's just different players, different kind of uh way things unfurled this year i don't i don't think that we can read too much into it because we know that gobert is going to continue to block shots we know he's going to continue to be a good rebounder and if anything you still look at his offensive game and say there's room for him to grow as a scorer a little bit not tremendously but a little bit and there's still room for him to grow as somebody who maybe dishes i don't know a half a, another half of an assist or something along those lines like he's he's competent as far as having a a- enough vision from uh, 
from, from or, or I guess I wouldn't say enough vision, but he's got probably a little bit better vision than what people would think as a passer at, at considering who he is as uh, the rest of him as a player. He's a guy that um yeah at the end of 2016-17 was really putting up some big offensive numbers, and that's why I had that hope that he would be able to become a, a player who was able to increase his usage rate and able to increase his scoring because post-All-Star break in 16-17, he averaged almost 17 points per game. And that's with Haywood there. And we thought, you know, Gordon's gone. He will take on this larger offensive responsibility. Rubio will start feeding him more passes. He'll become more of a uh, a pick-and-roll type of threat. And he'll get those extra two to three shots per game. And at the rate that he finishes these shots, that will that will result in four, five extra points per game and push him up to that 17-18 mark. It clearly didn't happen that way. The second half of last season didn't translate into a larger role for him this year, and that's where we got that part of him wrong. Uh, but everything else, yeah, it's not a Hassan Whiteside situation where he blocks three shots one year, two the next, one and a half the next, 1.1 the next, that big decline. I don't see that happening for Gobert. It will at some point. Like guys don't remain at two blocks per game the entire career, but he's only, he's still not 26 years of age. It's not a, not a Serge Ibaka situation where he can't even block a shot per game anymore. I think Rudy's got at least two more years of being a two-plus blocks per game guy, but at some point, that is going to dip. Hopefully, that dip in blocks can coincide with an increase in scoring, with better free throw percentage, which continues to improve as well. And he is uh, obviously a guy who's going to be a, a considerable top 40 guy, maybe top 30 player for the next at least couple of seasons anyway, until he maybe starts to tail off athletically. But defensively, he's uh, he's in, in a class of his own in the NBA. Donovan Mitchell, um, I don't know what more I, I need to say about him. I've said a ton about him through all the season, through the rookie recap podcasts. I, I think he has got absolute top 10 fantasy upside as a guy who could be a 25, 5, and 5 with two steals and three triples per game. I think that is his upside. Not saying he gets there. Maybe it's a 20% chance that he gets there, but I think he can do it. He does have issues with field goal percentage. We saw that throughout the season where he can be a real dra- uh, drainer in that area. But Kyle, like myself, you're one who doesn't really pay massive attention to field goal percentage. So it doesn't really bother us when we look at Mitchell, who was a, a top 50 player this year. Right. In in most of my head-to-head leagues, I'm going to punt field goal percentage or just not put as much weight on it in my drafts. Um, Donovan Mitchell, you can't say enough good things about him. Uh, he, you know, he was a little bit older rookie at 20, uh, 21, so he is 22 going into his second season, or he will be. Um, but nobody expected him to score 20 points a game. Nobody expected the for him to be the the primary scorer in his rookie season on this Jazz team, really. I mean, nobody except for maybe David Locke, who kind of <laughs> detailed that last summer. Yeah, I, I remember listening to that podcast last summer and thinking, there's no way that Donovan Mitchell plays as much as, as David is thinking. Um, but he did, and that's because when you went through and you looked at all the numbers going into la- last season – you just realized that the the players on this jazz team were not a nobody was a bulk scorer nobody was going to go out and and really lead the way um or had the the skill set to do that to force their hand offensively the way that Donovan Mitchell did so the to see Quinn Snyder utilize a rookie in this way to essentially put no chains or no restrictions on him not build any really big walls for him to jump over in regards to you know proving that you deserve it it's like no donovan mitchell walked in his talent proved it and they 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 unleashed him early 
and often. And um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how big of a step he takes in his second season. Um, and and that might be something that people. Do you think he'll get overdrafted, or do you think that it'll all kind of play out that he'll end up getting drafted right where he should next season? I remember seeing a thread on Reddit about it maybe a month or two months ago, and people were talking about taking him at the end of the first round and start of the second round, and that's too high to me. I th- Look, he could get there, but you're also, if you're drafting him in that spot, you're assuming best-case scenario. And I don't think you should be ever assuming best case scenario for guys in that sort of a range. So I think he, there is the risk that he does get overdrafted. If I look at what he did this season in terms of his averages, 20 and a half points, two and a half threes, 3.7 rebounds and assists, one and a half steals, 44, 81. And I look, where does, where does he improve here? Does he shoot better than 34% from three? Yeah, I think that's a real possibility, but the volume is still going to be a problem and he's still going to have those issues that we saw this season where, where some of his shooting wasn't great. He had a, a true shooting of 54%, which is under league average. So that's a concern, but can he bump that to 36%? Can he bump his field goals to 45? I think that's realistic, but I think the biggest room for him, him, his improvement could be is his uh, free throw attempt rate. He went at uh, 3.8 per game, but over the second half of the year, he was almost up to five per game, and I could see him settling in at five to five and a half free throw attempts. We know how aggressively he attacks, he attacks the rim. We know his finishes there, but once he draws the contact on those finishes as well and gets that extra shot, if he's getting five or six attempts at 82, 83%, that probably bumps you up 10 ranking spots right there. And that could push him into that, into that top 20. But overall, I do think that there might be an overdrafting risk with Mitchell, but I can still see the, the room for him to improve. And I can see the scenario playing out in my head where he does become that top 20 guy. I'm just not sure I'd be willing to invest that sort of pick in him. Oh, and he might get more respect too in his second year in regards to getting those calls going to the exactly. rack. So that even even any projections that we make, they they might fall short in regards to how big of a jump he can potentially take there. I think yeah. Overall, when I look at his career, I think that the thing that will come up and really help is the assist from three point seven. I can see that rising to five. I can see the steals getting closer to one point eight or one point nine. But I think for next year, the big ones are going to be field goal percentage and free throw attempts, and then maybe year three or four, we see those assists and we see the steals uh, bump up and we see the scoring push to maybe twenty four or twenty five, and that's where that'll happen next year. But yeah, he finished the the 47th ranked player this year and I've got absolutely zero doubt that he'll be better than that next season but depending on you know what people's expectation are or it's going to be yeah I think there is that risk that he does go just a little bit too high in drafts but I guess we will have to wait and see on that one what about um ravishing Rick Rubio Kyle came across uh, started off really well and we thought shit what's this what's this offensive output from Rubio just putting up big games left right and center and then he fell in a hole. Now, some of that was the way that Quinn Snyder was using him. Some of that, I think we have to attribute to the fact that Rudy Gobert wasn't there. That was a, that was an issue uh, for him. But overall, the season, especially the second half of the, the year, was fantastic for Rubio because over the last uh, three months of the year, he was a top 30 player. He ended up averaging in his first year in Utah 13, 4.5, and 5.5. And the assist number's way down on what he'd done previously. 1.6 steals, 1.2 triples, 42, 87, and 35% from three. So it's definitely a changing Ricky Rubio. He averaged 9.1 assists last year in Minnesota, but the way that Snyder runs this offense was very egalitarian. I think that's the right word. Uh, with the ball being uh, spread around it and people initiating offense from Ingles, from, uh, from Mitchell, from Rubio as well. But he saw his efficiency increase, his true shooting 
actually uh actually went down this season which was uh which was weird mainly because his free throw percentage dropped by a three percentage points but an overall increase in his field goal percentage and his uh three point percentage this season were key and that's two consecutive years that Rubio has shot over 40 percent from the field and it's continuing to improve each season but at the age of of 27 with the Exum free agency maybe they're looking to go that direction with Mitchell do they see him as a future point guard i'm i'm a little bit concerned about where rubio fits on this team long term maybe not next season but after that i am a little bit concerned for him yeah part of me wants to uh give rubio a little bit of slack in regards to any struggles that he had at the beginning of the season uh acclimating himself to the jazz just because he was going into a a team where you're, he's not going to be the only ball handler, or and and he's not going to be the only guy facilitating the offense. They Joe Ingles four and a half assists this season, which I just don't think a lot of people realize how many he had and how big of a facilitator he was for this team. And the fact that with Donovan Mitchell coming up the way that he did as a rookie and being that third ball handler, I mean, we really did have three ball three point guards on this team in in some respect if you're counting Rubio Mitchell and Ingles all in the same um same pocket there so to see Rubio expand his offensive game become more confident on on offense I think that was great to see this season and it'll be interesting to see next year because he does have just the one more year guaranteed with the Jazz to how they use him um, whether or not they marginalize him, if they continue to, if they do re-sign Dante Axum or just bring Dante Axum back on the qualifying offer, um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see exactly how how Rubio's used. But uh, asking me right now, I would think that Axum would be marginalized so that they can t- could continue to use the same guys that they have generally used. Um, but I, I, it'll, yeah, it's a tough call. It's a really tough call. I don't think Rubio is getting back to the nine assists per game in Minnesota, the average in Utah, but if something happens per chance and they decide to move on from Rubio because they want to run Mitchell at point guard more and they've, whatever they're going to do, then that could jump back up because it's not like the passing ability has diminished at all. It's just the way that the offense w- was run from him. So I th- he was a guy that's uh, been a top 40 guy fairly consistently through his time in Minnesota or at least top 50, and with the improved shooting, he would be a top 40 guy. But if those assists and uh, and those steals don't get back up to the 9 and 2 level, he's not going to be that player. So, he Do you feel like there's a good chance he would get traded this offseason? Um, no, I don't think it's a 0% chance. Um, I'd say it's probably less than a 50% chance, maybe a 20% chance. Um, but I, I get the feeling, Kyle, that this offseason is going to be the craziest we've ever seen. And I know we say that all the time. And last season was crazy with Paul George and Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler. I think that the dumb shit is going to happen all over the place. And by dumb, I don't necessarily mean wrong. I just mean shit where you just go, like, what is going on here? Just random players who we have no idea getting moved. I can see multiple uh, multiple cards being shuffled into different decks through this offseason. So I'm really, with the exception of a handful of players, I'm not ruling anything out. And there's always that possibility. I wish I felt that way, but there's... I, I don't get it. I there's I look at a lot of the rosters and I feel like everybody's just kind of going to be stuck in concrete and the the lack of money out there. Maybe you're right. Maybe the lack of money That's turns makes it. teams push into into other actions. But um, that, yeah. that's how I say because I, I mean, they can't have other flexibility. So there's a, cool, we're just going to have to switch guys around. We're just going to have to op- try and open things up and create that space or create differences on our team because we can't go and uh, just do it free agency wise. 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I've got a, my buddy Andre who comes over all the time, plays 2K with me. He's a huge Spurs fan, and I can't believe how much we time we spend talking about potential Kawhi trades, and it almost always leads back to the Phoenix Suns, so maybe we'll see something crazy at the draft. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for some real weird stuff to go down. Let's talk uh, Jingling Joe Ingles, who was excellent this season. He was the 62nd-ranked player. He played all 82 games, uh, 31 minutes a game, 11.5 points, 2.5 threes, 4 rebounds, almost four, 5 assists, as you mentioned, over a steal, 47, 80, and 44% from three. He was the guy who took on the largest uh, increase in role uh, after Haywood left. We thought that he'd be a really strong pick towards the end of drafts. I didn't expect for him to be a top 65 player this year. But the assist is always something he's shown he can do. We know he can hit threes and one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA uh, and was able to do that at, a, at an excellent rate. And he was he was awesome offensively, defensively. The problem we have with Ingles here is he's uh, going to turn 31 in a couple of months. He's not a young player. He's not uh, he's not yet just heading into his prime or anything like that. But I can see look, 11, 4, and 5 is, is not a crazy line that he couldn't repeat again next season. I think that another type of year like that for Ingles is definitely on the cards. And it's not like he was doing it on unsustainable shooting or on unsustainably high usage. Yeah, and he doesn't rely on his athleticism to get his production. It's more having a crafty game and just kind of seeing the floor well and knowing when to pick his spot. So if anything, I'd be worried about him getting his money, uh, minutes reduced if they think that he just his body's not holding up for some reason. But I don't think we've necessarily seen any reason to suspect that yet. No, he hasn't really been a guy that's suffered any injuries at all. In fact, over his four NBA seasons, he has missed. And I'm going to do some uh, big shot quick maths here. Um, three, four games. There you go. Over his four seasons, he's missed four games. He's played all 82 the last two years, 81 the year before that, and 79 the year before that in his first season. So a guy who hasn't had any injury concerns doesn't mean they can't happen, but because uh, of course they can at, at any point. But he was a uh, he was excellent this season. Derek Favors. I don't know how I would classify this season. We spoke about him a little bit already. The 102nd ranked player, 12 and 7. He averaged 0.7 steals, 1.1 blocks, 56 and 65. It's just meh. Like he was much better when Rudy Gobert was out, a player that you wanted to own the field goal percentage, the rebound, and the blocks all went up. And then he moved back to power forward and played it back up center. And he was just subpar. Amazingly, Kyle, he's not even 27 years old yet, which is, is stunning to me. He feels like he's a 32-year-old guy who you just don't know if he's going to be on the court because his injuries are flaring up and he's lost all his athleticism. He's not even in his prime, really. Well, he's right smack bang in the middle of it, but it just feels like he has been around forever and that he is you know, on the way out. It's, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, he was, you know, he was tremendous in some regards as, as far as his field goal percentage uh, going up this season, uh, but there's... You watch him play, and he's adequate, or he 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 seems to do the right things for the most part. Um, you know, I, I used to really love those guys who like the only thing they did was hit that elbow jumper, and that's kind of what Derek Favors does. He doesn't generate a lot of his own offense. He's constantly just kind of you know he'll set a pick and he'll roll or he'll pick and pop, or but a lot of his offense just comes from I'm going to move around, I'm going to wait until one of our ball handlers sucks in the defense and then they're going to kick it to me and I'm going to hit this mid-range or I'm going to send up a little floater as I kind of roll into the the basket a little bit. But it's, it's just hard to look at what Derek Favors offers 
and to see him ever stepping into a huge role going forward in regards to playing, you know, 30 plus minutes a night on a team where you know that he's one of their key cogs. I just don't ever see him doing that. So if you want to look back to last season and say, okay, he, he stayed healthy for the most part and he was he wasn't a disappointment really in any in any categories. I think I think that's the best you can hope for going forward. I don't really see a, a resurgence or a a reblossoming for him anywhere, even if he does sign with another team. No, me either. I think he, you know, looking at him for over thirty minutes per game is probably going to be a fool's errand. I don't see him ever getting to that sort of level. He was fine defensively. He did some nice stuff. His advanced stats all look all look pretty strong. Um, I don't know. He's just. He's a weird one. He's not a guy who can necessarily space out to three. He's probably better suited to being a backup center, and the Jazz would love if they could keep him around for that, but I'm sure he doesn't want to do that as his role. So there is a lot to go under the bridge with favors, but expecting him to ever push to be back to a top 50 type of player, which he had been in the past, I I think we're way past that with him. A guy that did come across this season uh, from... Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, after coming across from Boston in the offseason, was Jay Crowder, and he was a massive disappointment throughout this season. He was the 227th ranked player over the course of the year. He was one who we warned against in the offseason, Kyle, that he was getting significantly overdrafted. He had an ADP of 70 on Yahoo, which was out of control high to me. I think we both thought that he was going to be a guy who finished outside the top 100. I didn't think the top 200 was really a, a, a case there for, for Crowder, but it looked to me that and he's a guy that I had never been really big on at all uh, through his time in Boston, that Boston really did um, it paper over some of the cracks in his game. But to be fair to Crowder, he did have to deal with personal tragedy in the offseason, and his time in Utah, he was much better than in Cleveland. In fact, on-off numbers for him in Utah, he was a plus 6.2 during that time in Utah. So that's you know, a real big change as opposed to how uh, how putrid he was during the majority of his time in Cleveland. If Favors leaves, can you see a resurgence from Crowder to maybe becoming a top 100 guy again after those couple of uh, top 100 seasons in a Boston uniform? Um, Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I kind of whiffed on saying that there's no obvious guy to step into that power forward spot with if Derek Favors leaves in free agency because Crowder would be that guy. Um, and if, if, if he does continue to be utilized right way, which why wouldn't he? Quinn Snyder's still going to be there. Snyder kind of runs the same share it all offense that that Boston uh, runs. Um, whereas you pointed out the, the some of the reasons why Crowder struggled in Cleveland is because he was dealing with personal tragedy um, due to the loss of I believe it was his mother last yeah. off season who and that happened on the same day he was traded to Cleveland. So like uh, it's, I don't know the emotional connection there is probably strong um in regards to those two events um there's 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 reason to think that there is some optimism i think for crowder if if favors isn't going to be there and if there is that hole at power forward for for the jazz because behind crowder there's not much you know it's are they going to bring back um, Jonas Cherepko, if they do, does it really matter? Is you know he's he wouldn't be the guy that I think that they would necessarily turn to as the starter at power forward there. And if they did, it would be in a a much more limited role than what you would see Jay Crowder step into. So it, overall, yeah, I think Jay Crowder stepping into that starting power forward role next year is something that should be watched. But I don't think that you would ever look at it and go, oh, he's going to take a huge jump. You might just look at it and say. 
all right, we're going to get back to that old Boston value when he was playing more minutes. He is a, a guy that you know, saw his usage in you know, Cleveland 15%, Utah 21%, but he shot the ball so poorly this season, especially in Utah. He was really poor with his shooting. His uh, field goal percentage was 38.6 during his 27 games in Utah. He shot 31.6 from three-point land, and this is a pattern. He has never been a good three-pointer, three-point shooter outside of the 16-17 season where he shot 40% from three. And that is the outlier every other year, 33, 33, 29, 34, and 32. So shit three-point shooter, had one good year, and people go, oh, three and D wing. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe he just isn't a guy that can shoot those threes and got hot for one year, and he got really hot and hit um, over two threes per game in that season for Boston. But before that, he couldn't shoot them. After that, he couldn't shoot them. I don't really know what to make of that one weird standout you know, shooting season when everything else hasn't really uh, been been the case there. And, and his steal rate also did dip uh, this season a, a bit as well, only averaged 0.8 for the entire season, 0.9 during his time in Cleveland. He just wasn't, um, he just wasn't, yeah, the, the same guy. And I wouldn't be, look, he was a top 60, top 70 player in those last two seasons in Boston, fueled by high threes and one year fueled by high steals. And both of those things didn't come through. And I can't really see them being um, happening again and him being that same sort of a player. But we will we will see. Um, Tyler Cephalosha, he's 34 years of age. He is coming off this knee injury. I don't know whether he'll be back on this team or whether he'll be back on another team, but he is not a fantasy option really wherever he goes. He provides steals and he does that well. Uh, he was amazingly the 152nd ranked player this season, mainly because of the uh, the large steal rate and the fact that his field goal percentage and free throws were, were pretty solid, but he's not a guy that I'm interested in. But one player I, I do want to talk a little bit more about is, is Exum, who showed an, enough to me to be an NBA caliber player, to be a rotation player, maybe a starter at some point. He shot the ball well, but to me, his game doesn't translate sensationally for fantasy, Kyle. Hey. Yeah, I mean, he's just not, he's not putting up a bunch of gross stats. He doesn't really shoot the three too often. Um, on this Jazz team, he's not going to get those big bulk assist uh, uh, numbers. And I don't even know if that's necessarily something he's capable of. Um, he's interesting. He's very good at going to the rack, at getting a layup, at using his speed to take advantage of people. Um, It'll. It's hard for me to see a path to him being a relevant guy in standard leagues next year if he's on this Jazz team. But maybe he could go to another team where he just has that much bigger of a role. Um, it was good to see him doing the things that he was doing well at the end of the season, as far as using using his speed to get to the rack. But um, yeah, it's just, it's it's hard to to say that with certainty that you see a a huge future ahead for him beyond being maybe a role player. The other guys on this team, there's not, not a huge amount to talk about with Yurepko or Neto, but Alec Burks is someone that, that people really do seem to have an affection for. I'm not that big on him. He showed some flashes at times in the playoffs when Rubio was out with that hamstring injury, but I just don't see, especially if uh, if Exum comes back, like Rubio, Mitchell, Exum, like where is Burks getting the playing time? Because Royce O'Neal is ahead of him in the rotation as well. I, I just don't see, and he's still, he's still not 27 years of age, Alec Burks, but your knee injuries have bothered him in the past, clearly. Uh, the shooting wasn't great this year. I, I don't see him as being some sort of surprise packet moving forward. No, you've always... He's had the, the injury issues almost every season, and um, 
And then when he has gotten on the court, it's been the fact that he his game, it's he goes to the rack. He's kind of like a modern day Corey Maggette in a lot of respects. He's not going to shoot the, the three ball a ton. Um, he's it's it's hard to see how how good he fits and and where he would be able to blossom next year. I. I know that the Jazz have him on the one more year of that guaranteed contract, but it almost feels like for the last two or three years that they've just been waiting for his contract to expire. So it's hard to to look at Alec Burks with with a lot of optimism for next season, and he would probably have to fall into a situation where the Jazz have a litany of injuries if he was ever going to step into a big enough role. And we saw enough injuries this last season that you would have expected it, it probably would have happened last season. So yeah, I, I, in regards to Burks, it's just it's hard to see a lot of optimism around him. Maybe they find someone else to trade for him, somebody desperate for backcourt depth who wants a little bit of size out of their guards, um, and just doesn't have it. The the top five minute players on this team were the five starters: Mitchell, Ingles, Rubio, Favors, and Gobert. Who do you think was sixth on this team in minutes played for the season? Oh wow. Um... <laughs> I have it all right in front of me, but uh, if you were to ask me to guess off the top of my head, I, I phew, sugar plums. Yeah, I guess I guess I would have ended up on Alec Burks. It's uh, it's actually Royce O'Neal. Amazing, That's so funny. As an undrafted rookie at 24 years of age, he played the sixth most amount of minutes. Now Rodney Hood would have beaten that if he had remained on the team. Jay Crowder probably would have beaten that if he had been with the team all season. But in terms of players who played here all season. Uh, Royce O'Neal's 1,150 minutes were sixth on this team. And this is a team, again, that got to the second round of the playoffs with Royce O'Neal playing the sixth amount of minutes in the season. And O'Neal showed flashes at times. He had a couple of big games. But overall, I don't really see O'Neal becoming any sort of um, fantasy monster at any point or even a, a real standard league option consistently. But he did have some of those performances. We had an 18-5-5 with three steals game against the Spurs in February, a 19-5-2 against the Suns in February, an 11-10 double-double against the Hornets in January, an 11-7-6 against the Wizards in only 25 minutes in December. So these random sprinkled-in games from Royce O'Neal throughout the season, but nearly always they came on really high shooting nights, 80%, 60%, 70% shooting, and that seemed to fuel his confidence and allow him to stay in the game longer and rack up those other numbers, including the assists and steals. But he's an, the occasional DFS type of flyer, GPP guy. If there's an expanded role, maybe he takes on on that. But overall, from what we see from O'Neal, really strong you know, backup guard, sixth man type of a player, but not really the guy who's going to be some you know, long-term fantasy investment, I don't believe. Yeah, and age 25 too. So he's yeah. he was an older rookie, um, and that's probably why... And, you know, I mean, that's the easiest thing to point to to say, oh, why was he competent three-point shooter? Why was he so good on defense? All those kind of things. He was an older cat coming in. So um, maybe maybe he is just as good as he is, and, and there's room for growth, and, and he ends up finding a bigger role than what we think. Maybe he turns into the next Wes Matthews yeah. because, um, because why not? Um, he's He's got, you know, good size. He's He's... He fits the mold of what a lot of teams are looking for right now. You you can't have enough of those versatile, small forward capable players on your team right now in the NBA. Over, so, and Royce O'Neal is that. Over his last 19 games, including the playoffs, he shot 53% from the field and 40% from three. 
um, while averaging over six rebounds per 36 minutes and over a steal. Now, defensively, he's pretty good. The steal rate's is low. He still needs to work on that. But that shooting, if he can maintain your high shooting levels, then he is going to force an extra couple of minutes and potentially have some of these you know, breakout type games. But it will be more more for deeper leagues. But hey, anything is possible. And he showed an ability to stick in the NBA and provide offensive flashes and provide defensive flashes. And if you can put that together consistently, then you might end up uh, with a player. Kyle, I reckon we might be uh, done speaking about this jazz season. A lot of excitement from them, for their fans, from the uh, best uniform in the NBA with that uh, sunset, uh, whatever, I don't know what the hell it's called, but the best uh, uniform in the NBA, in my opinion, was that uh, gradient-colored theme. Um, I think we're done. Anything else to add with the uh, jazz? No. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Tony Bradley? At all? Yeah, look, no. I, I I didn't necessarily like the pick. I know the Jazz were really big into him. They they clearly traded up for him as they did with Donovan Mitchell. Um, Epe Udo might not be with the team next season. Maybe they can look for Bradley to jump into that role uh, there as as the third center. There's a there's a possibility of that. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out. He I don't know. I I just don't I, I don't see much for him now. I remember he did have some okay G League type numbers. He averaged 15 and 10 with 1.3 blocks on 58% shooting in the G League, which is fine, but it's not overly spectacular. But the high rebounding rate is interesting to me. Um, defensively, he was okay in the G League, but I don't, I don't see him really as ever a starter caliber player. Thanks. Do you have any thoughts on him, or is you just, uh, no, just, just fishing I, for I info? No, I don't. I want no. I was I was fishing for info. Definitely, I did. I didn't really have any thoughts on him, so I wanted to hear if uh, you had done any deep dives into his G League life. He's still only young. He's still only uh, twenty, I believe, or maybe he's just turned twenty-one. Let's uh, double check that. No, he's still only. Oh, he doesn't turn twenty-one for quite a while, actually. So he's still really young. We only saw nine games of him in the NBA this season, and really nothing to go on there. He averaged point nine points, didn't block a shot, and shot twenty-seven percent from the field. And I can assure you, all of those things will go up next season. But I think he's a little bit too slight at this point. But you can easily grow into that body in the next two to three years, and the rebounding is a good start, and you know, a, a good defensive base that we showed that he showed in the G League for the Salt Lake Stars so we'll see exactly how that all plays out but he is one to watch but oh, I'm talking three years down the track but the absence of Udo the potential absence of favors could accelerate that timeline by a year we will uh, we will find that out but Kyle where can everybody find you on the uh, old Twitter machine you can find me at Roto Kyle NBA. Go ahead and follow Kyle. Do the same with me at RedRock underscore Beeble and subscribe to this podcast. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On NBA. Um, lots of great information right across the Locked On Podcast Network. Kyle, thank you for coming back on. Thanks for having me on, Josh. All right, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Eric Griffin. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.